0: I invite you to turn your attention to the Gospel of John, found on page 90 in your pew Bibles, the fifth chapter the first nine verses. Listen for the word of God, beloved. After this, there was the festival of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Beth-Zarach, which has five porticoes. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One person was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw this person lying there and knew that they had been there a long time, Jesus said to them, Do you want to be made well? The sick one answered Jesus, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to this person, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once, the person was made well, and they took up their mat and began to walk. Beloved, this is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. So I probably could just dispense with the sermon today, given the children's sermon, it was fabulous. And I know that it's in relationship to appreciating teachers, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, In fact, those of us who live in the academic world, whatever that is, know how important teachers are. And we can all, I hope most of us can, have positive memories of some of those people in 1st and 6th and 12th grade. At least I hope you have. I certainly do. But I bring greetings from our university and from our whole community, Dr. Troy Van Aken. Yesterday we went from 9, 12, and 3, three long, wonderful graduation services. And I know some of you are on video live watching this, including a shout-out to Loretta. We miss you here, but we know that you're watching, so it's good to see you somewhere out there. The joy of coming here in this transition in between time is one of the things that brought me very much to this time because I have seen and watched your congregation and have had the joy of being a part of some of the ups and downs and the backs and forth so there is a hope that in some of the words today from the Deuteronomic text that's been read and from the Gospel that there will be some sense of purpose and trajectory of giving a sense of the long view, which is what I'm hoping for in this time together. It is a joy. It's almost summer. Some of us think it is summer, but it's almost summer. Will you join with me in prayer as we gather, please? Silence all voices but thine alone, almighty and gracious God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart of all of our hearts, be acceptable to you. And then, by spirit, by thinking, by joy, by grace, we might be changed and transformed. We might be touched by your love that might move us to be different, to give thanks for the past, to look to the future, and to do the work of what it means to dig deep into our hearts, souls, and minds. So by spirit and by joy, give us this time. And for your grace and glory we pray. Amen. So not a shameless plug, but, and this is not story time, but there is a book. Maybe you might want to read it in your book club. Anna Quinlan, she's a graduate of Barnard College. She was the chair of the board. Many of us know her because of her writings in the New York Times and all over the place. She wrote this great little book, it's very accessible, write for your life. It's a great little book. And there's a line in there that completely caught me. She writes, don't get it right, get it written. Don't get it right, get it written. And when you start to ask what does it mean, she's talking about the narrative, and that the narrative is about telling a story, my story or someone else, but Some of us know what writer's block is, we get paralyzed. We can't seem to put all of this down on paper to get it out so that others can express and tear it apart and enjoy. But that paralyzation is often subjected to because of our own sense of, it has to be perfect. I can't put this out because it's not done completely. And so Anna says, don't get it right, get it written. Now in the church we are really good at telling stories and we saw some of that today and we know that storytelling is at the heart of who we are. Some of us who have been fortunate to see the play Hamilton might remember the theme song in that. Some of us live, some of us die, who lives to tell our story. The writing project that I am inviting all of us to be involved with kind of command that Anna Quinlan calls forth, and I've had the joy of hosting her on campus, is that notion of what does it mean to dig deep and to look and think about the joy of faith, the joy of life. So one of the people that I go back to all the time, and this is maybe showing a little bit of my dinosaurness, is there's a wonderful Presbyterian, Academic who's now passed away, Robert McAvee Brown. He wrote an amazing book in 1955. The book is titled The Bible Speaks to You. And in that period of 1984, 30 years, where he was pressed to do a revision, and he eventually said, It's too much work, it would cost so much to do, we're going to let it stand. And I would commend this book of 1955 with the revision update forward of 1984. And in that you start to see this amazing professor at Stanford, Presbyterian minister, and his journey of wrestling with text and tradition and reason and experience. Those four areas, tradition, reason, text experience. And he changed. So some of the things that he changed, that you'll see right in print in the revision, in the forward revision. He would have rethought how law and gospel is talked about, and Jewish-Christian relations. Because if you know what was going on in 55 and how we use text to supersede Judaism. And so supersessionism is a term that all of us need to understand. He also talked about the fact that in 55 he used language that was extremely exclusive, male, and that he would have had to wrestle with inclusive language. God knows we know that conversation. He's Presbyterian. And In that is also the question of the role of women because he's raised in a tradition that didn't ordain. But thankfully, we changed. He's also the person that, for many, really helped introduce Latin American liberation theology to the greater United States society. And so he would talk about the 1955, the Bible speaks to you, me, as a way to help give narrative to the fact that Latin America brings something different. Liberation theology. He notes racism was completely absent, and it was part of his privileged position in the academy in 55. He notes LGBTQ. All of that is missing completely from the Bible speaks to you in 1955, and in 84, he's trying to help rethink this. He died, the date's quite easy for a lot of you, 9 4 one September 4th, one seven days before 9-11. I had hosted Bob on campus back in New York often, and he often said, I didn't get it right, but I had to keep writing. I almost laughed when I wrote that down last night because I could hear Bob almost saying, I didn't get it right, I had to rewrite it. Anna Quinlan's book. He joked all the time about this great line that he coined, not mine, my story, your story, the story. My story is me, who I am. Your story, the story of God in history trying to figure out how to liberate, trying to heal. And he would really push. And if I could push the way Bob did, He got everybody to say, what is your story? Because you have one. Each one of you has a story. And that that in some way is connected to something much bigger. And the goal of the faith church is to help connect that to what these texts are that we're gonna look to now. Because the stuff of life is always interwoven into the Deuteronomic text. It is the last chapter of the fifth book of the Pentateuch, of the five books of the Hebrew Torah. And its position is so critical. And there are many ways and things to talk about that. I will not bore you. But there is a tenderness about, look, God showing Moses, look. Everything that was promised is right there, and it's before your eyes. You get to see it. You won't go there. And God tenderly, lovingly lays Moses to death. Look over there and see what I have promised all along. You shall not go. But I, the faithful one, have brought you to this place. We could talk a lot about the promises of God, but this little chapter is so helpful for me. When I watch people struggle, when I figure out what end of life means for young people or older people, and how to place in perspective the notion of promises of God in our life, whatever that time is, and when it's cut short by AIDS or COVID or race or the brokenness of the human condition. The Gospel of John is the book into this. It's about healing, waiting for 38 years, trying to get in the pool. And then that crazy question, it's almost irrelevant, it seems. Do you want to be healed? I mean, it, it doesn't even fit waiting for 38 years, and Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? And notice the response. It is not yes or please yes. No one can get me into the pool. I get beat out, which suggests that there are a lot of other people at that place waiting. And Jesus' response, take up your mats and walk. Take up your mat and walk. One commentator wrote on this that one long time sick person moves from waiting to walking. Waiting to walking. Now this could have been the sermon title. Take up your mats and walk. But I rather want you all to put these two pieces in tension. God's promises of Deuteronomy, God's healing action, in John, and that those two bookends are where I want to invite you into a conversation. As I noted, yesterday was graduation. It is full of promises, oh my gosh. The degrees, the place in society, I get the joy of watching young folks come in and then eventually walk across the stage. And boy, do they go up and down in some things, good and bad. But the joy of walking and taking that degree, that's a promise that we in the Presbyterian Church have believed in because we have built universities for this particular reason, to help educate young people, like today, like later on at coffee hour when you give thanks for teachers. God's promises always allow us to rest into looking at the big picture, placing ourselves in that story like what Bob Brown was doing with his 1955 to 1984 revision. You know, one of my students commented this week when prayers, as I use this Deuteronomic text, I wonder what it would have been like to be on that mountain with Moses looking out, knowing you're not going over because you're about to die, but seeing God's promises realized. One of the young students asked, what would it be like to actually have been at that mountain? God's healing these past years of COVID have been difficult. We started out with, we're all in this together, and we all know how that's gone. We're not all in this together. The divisions within our public life have been difficult. I've sat with so many folk praying for healing, only to not get what we prayed and hoped for as the outcome. Maybe we didn't pray right. Maybe we missed the boat. Maybe... We didn't pray for God's will. But God's healing takes its shape in many different fashions. A world in which God does not heal everyone is challenging and difficult at best. There are a lot of people at the pool in the gospel text that didn't get healed. One did. Faithful people waiting in hopeful expectation that someday all, will be made well. And perhaps this is where we too are like that person, waiting by the pool, hoping the water will be troubled, hoping that somehow we can get in. I guess I have to go back and say, listen to what Jesus said. Pick up your mats and walk. It's a declarative. We know that life is not that simplistic, nor is the text. But I'm asking you to hold these two pieces in tension, God's promises, God's healing, as we dive into life. Let me give you one example of a very personal thing. I'm not supposed to do this. I know the preaching professors would go nuts. You will pray for me in three weeks. I'll be in my home, San Diego, beautiful little church, Presbyterian, started in 1941, 42, during the war. All white, working class, military. In three weeks I'll go back to help close that church. The church that I was raised in, the church that I was ordained in, the church that I helped bury my mom and dad in. It's a hard moment, there is no way about it. A lot of the young people are all, that have all gone in different directions around the nation are all swooping back in for that Saturday-Sunday gathering. Where is God's promises? Where is God's healing? They're there, but that's part of the digging. Last Saturday, no, last Sunday, we'll start Sunday, there's a Taiwanese church out in Los Angeles, Presbyterian, and tragically, a Chinese person comes in with a gun and kills somebody. And we're now in the midst of that discourse about Taiwan and China in a little Presbyterian church out in L.A. And we are asking, like our national church, sent out notes, prayers, healing, and then even harder. Last Saturday, you all know what happened in Buffalo. And he went on NPR this morning. This morning, this young person walks in with a gun and kills a lot of African-American folk because of a th- narrative, a story that he has completely bought into. And you know that. For those who study much at all, this replacement theory of folks like me being replaced by people that are black, brown, Jews, gays, whatever the narr- the other. This narrative, a different story. That's why we don't get it right, we have to get it written, so that we can unpack it. Because both of these events of last Sunday and last Saturday beg for us to unpack that, to address it, to call it out, and to understand what's really going on. So that we can ask in the tragicness, how do we heal? How do we heal personally and as a community? And our national church in the Presbyterian called for resilience, absolutely yes. Called for prayers, absolutely. But thoughtful folks like you are probably asking, what are we learning and doing, and what are we becoming? And Jesus' response and question, do you want to be healed, is haunting right now. Jesus' charge is almost to take up your mats and walk and work. Jesus stands and sits in the rabbinical tradition that produced Abraham Joshua Heschel, the great rabbi. And he wrote, Morally speaking, there is no limit to the concern one must feel for the suffering of human beings. That indifference is worse than evil itself, that in a free society, some are guilty, all are responsible. That is so rooted in the Reformed tradition. We understand that some are guilty, but that we all are responsible and that we all have a role to think about God's promises and God's healing collectively and personally. And so, beloved, God's promises, God's healings, are set in the dailiness of life. Every day. And so we do write for your life, as Anna Quinlan would say, because the narrative stories are about now, 2020, 2022. And we are given the opportunity, dare I say, the responsibility to work to make God's promises real, God's healing real. And that's challenging and difficult. I get it. I was raised, dinosaur, Protestant, Catholic, Jew. That was how Will Herberger wrote about American society. And now when I sit with my students and say, Protestant, Catholic, Jew, and I say, so what's missing? (laughs) They all laugh. Protestant, Catholic, Jew, what about, what about, what about, what about? They start just narrowing out all the different loving, beautiful stories of friends. And so my closing Is really, for me at least, a word of hope. So, 20 years ago, when I first came, there was this funny, wonderful man by the name of Ibu Patel who was starting a thing called Interfaith Youth Corps, and he called up and asked me to bring some kids down to Northwestern. 1999. And Interfaith Youth Corps is about trying to build a diverse, pluralistic, conversation on the interreligious interfaith and it's amazing what has gone on nationally but last week at Georgetown with the president of Georgetown and a bunch of folks I couldn't go in he wanted IFYC interfaith youth corps became interfaith America it's to write a different narrative and I would ask you it's a two-minute video of Interfaith America, and it's about how young people are trying to invite a different narrative to build the great story of this democracy and to rewrite what has happened in California, what happened in Buffalo, and rethink that narrative into a different way. We might take God's promises and God's healings and that we might have the joy of weaving that in to something more beautiful. I understand that's hard, it's messy, but for some of us, and I hope for all, it actually opens the doors to the beauty of God's love for all of humanity and all of creation. And yeah, that's change. And yeah, I will help this little church in San Diego be put to rest. But God's promises remain, and God's healing remains. And we get to tell that story. Thanks be to God. Amen.